Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insight into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. As the campaign season heats up, we're kicking off an intermittent series that will examine some of the candidates' most sweeping policy proposals. We're going to start today looking at the issue of student loan debt. And joining us to break it down is AAF's president, Douglas Holtz-Aiken. Doug, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again. Uh, my pleasure. I wore my best podcast tie for the occasion. <laughs> it's a great tie. Um, so let's start by looking at uh, a plan put forth by presidential candidate Sen- Senator Bernie Sanders from my home state of Vermont. Um, Bernie, true to his character, goes big. Uh, not only <laughs> does he want... Well, if you come from a little state, he tend to... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> big ideas, little states, huh? <laughs> Not only does he want to cancel student debt for all students, he suggests that public college should be free for all students. Uh, Doug, I know you've uh, given this issue a lot of thought, uh, especially since you've worked in higher education, um, and I know you have many significant concerns. What problem is this trying to address? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Um, There are um, a couple of different assertions. One is that the... The $1.6 trillion in student debt is a burden on those individuals and thus the economy. Relieved of that debt, they would – literally, there's some of these claims where they would start small businesses. They would you know, spend whatever, buy homes. You know, This is somehow crippling their economic activity. I, I think that's a, a really short-sighted view of this because that $1.6 trillion in debt is an obligation to pay somebody else $1.6 trillion. If you cancel it, someone else is now $1.6 trillion poorer, and they diminish their economic activity commensurately. So you can't just look at one side of this of this mm-hmm. equation. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know what they're trying to solve with that. Yeah, yeah. So what problems do you think might arise by just saying we're going to cancel all student debt? I, I think there are a lot of problems. Um, you can look at it from uh, really two perspectives. One would be sort of basic issues of fairness. Does this feel fair? Um, I don't think it does. You're canceling the debt equally for those who are doing fine and repaying. Um, you are doing it for rich versus poor. Um, you know, all of that feels unfair to me. It's also true that the United States government is a a very very active lender. There are farm loans. There are small business loans. There are loans of all sorts. Why these loans? Why mm-hmm. shouldn't we just cancel everyone's loans? So that, that that doesn't seem fair. I can imagine a lot of people saying, "Hey, what about me?" Um, so so I, I don't think this passes a, a laugh test on the fairness front. But the bigger problems are on the the sort of policy and incentives front. Uh, first is what does this do to any future lending program? Do people now go into it with an expectation that there's some chance they won't ever have to pay it back? That's a terrible expectation to set, and and I think that's that's a big mistake. Um, it then also doesn't do one bit of good to get people into college. This is old loans. It's done. And and you don't do anything productive economically by forgiving something in the past. And everyone's noted that this doesn't change the structure of higher education at all. It doesn't change the incentives to produce high-value education for your tuition. So it doesn't deal with the real problem. The mm-hmm. real reason we have a lot of debt is college is expensive. Mm-hmm. Deal with that. Right. Um, and I think a lot of us on the right also, uh, I think, rightly point out, um, how do you pay for something like this? How who who who's going to foot the bill for this? Let's uh, let's take a quick listen to how Senator Bernie Sanders says he's going to pay for it. 
Who's going to pay for canceling that debt? Is it going to be you, people who haven't gone to college? No, 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 no. I would pay for it. It's very clear. It is going to be a tax on Wall Street. You know, uh, 10 years ago, we bailed out Wall Street, whose uh, recklessness and illegal behavior caused the worst economic downturn in the modern history of this country. And they received trillions of dollars of help from the taxpayers of this country. I think now it is Wall Street's turn to help the middle class and working families of America by ending student debt. Doug, what are your thoughts about how Bernie is proposing to pay for this plan? Uh, These sort of uh, stock transaction taxes, financial transaction taxes have been proposed many times in the past. Uh, I'll ask you, how many do we have? Zero. There's a reason for that. They're not a particularly good idea. They're typically dressed up in this notion that we're going to stop speculative trading. But a trade's a trade. You can't tell if the one's speculative and the other's a reasonable hedge against a future event. Um, anything that inhibits people's ability to to diversify, get rid of some risk, harms them in the end. So uh, th- these are uh, taxes that I think aren't at the top of anyone's list from an economics point of view, and they've never made it over the political finish line. It looks like an empty promise to me. Mm-hmm. So now let's take a uh, listen to a similar proposal by presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren um, from Massachusetts. Um, let's listen in. That's why I'm calling for universal free college and the cancellation of student loan debt of up to $50,000 for 42 million Americans. My plan will wipe out student loan debt entirely for about 75% of those with debt. It will help close the racial wealth gap and it will provide an enormous economic boost to America's middle class. The cost of my universal college and debt cancellation plan can be covered entirely by my ultra millionaires wealth tax. That's a 2% tax on the richest 75,000 fortunes in this country, those with more than $50 million in assets. Just 2% and we can do this. Wow, that one even came with some inspirational music. Um, by the way, there was some debate on whether I could be able to say the word wow <laughs> in a entertaining way, but I think I nailed it. Um, well, we'll wait for the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Aside from that, um, are there noteworthy differences between uh, Sanders and Warren's plans? Yeah, I think on on both sides. Um, uh, the the pay for. Let's start with that. Very different. She's proposed a wealth tax on uh, affluent individuals. Uh, this is again something we've never really had in the United States. Uh, it has been tried in Europe and without great success. It's very difficult to actually collect the tax that she's advertising uh, because it's pretty easy to break up large con- concentrations of wealth, at least on paper, split it across members of a family, things like that. So I'm not sure anyone's really believing the, the numbers that are out there. And on the proposal itself, it's it's less ambitious, if it's fair to describe anything of hers as less ambitious, in that it only forgives $50,000 worth of debt for those under $100,000 in, in income. It phases out up to $250,000. So if you make more than that, you get no debt relief. So it's, it's more targeted in that sense, feels fairer from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So wrapping up our discussion about the, the candidates' plans here um, – is it helpful just to think, are these real proposals or are these just more campaign rhetoric? 
I think, uh, having been on a campaign, right. um, that you can never dismiss something as just campaign rhetoric. Uh, the candidate has chosen to go out and say, this is important. And that act in and of itself merits attention. So both have pay- placed a lot of attention on going to college and the cost of going to college. I don't think the things they have proposed are realistic. I don't think they're uh, going to make uh, either of those two things, the college going rate or the cost of it, improve in the United States. But what they've chosen to focus on is important. Mm -hmm. So let's turn our attention now to the uh, problems of higher education more broadly. Um, A lot of people are talking uh, both about rising debt levels and the rising price tag of college. Are these the biggest and most fundamental problems or do you see others? I think it's going to be really interesting over the next decade to watch uh, what goes on in higher education. It, it has had the feel of the healthcare sector for a while. You've got a sector that produces a, a, a product of highly uneven quality. It gets ever more expensive, and there's tons of federal money being channeled into it. And people start getting upset about all three of those things um, in the absence of some real uh pressure, though, they don't change. And we don't have really great levers to tell a university to perform differently. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you look at the demography, there are fewer students coming out of high school to go to colleges. And we're starting to see the stories already about smaller liberal arts colleges getting in trouble financially, maybe uh, going out of business. So the competitive landscape is going to be changing over the next decade. Will those colleges take the opportunity to say, hey, this is a place where you will get value for your dollar and a job when you're done. We can demonstrate it. Here, here's the, the value proposition. That's been missing. Um, I, I know of one notable example of that already, which is Purdue University, where uh, the new president, Mitch Daniels, has not raised tuition during his tenure. And, and he's been there for a while, right? That's six years, and that's a phenomenal accomplishment. And going back to your point about these small liberal arts colleges, there's been a few stories from my hometown, uh, my home state of Vermont, where a, a bunch of colleges are facing shutdown. Um, a, a college my dad coached basketball at just shut down this year. So it's definitely something that I think is going to be there. Um, and I think it brings up this interesting issue that's out there about a higher education bubble. I mean, you hear a lot of people um, talk about this in the news. What? What do you make of this description? Well, I, there's been you know uh, a longstanding notion of uh, are you getting actual skills or is it just credentials? Like you've got a high school diploma, that's not as good as having a college diploma, but your skills aren't really that different. Um, I, I think what we're going to see is increasing emphasis on actual skills and – less emphasis on credentials. And so some of those colleges are going to have to make sure they're, they're delivering graduates that who can get a job right away and, and be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you've touched a little bit on this, but how much has government policy contributed to both the rising debt and the rising prices? I, I think they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that we have a federal loan policy that is exactly this complicated. Would you like some money? Sure, here. That's it. <laughs> there, There's no... Uh, due diligence done of the type that a private lender would would have to do mm-hmm. and, and then say, okay, Kyle, um, where are you planning to go? And mm-hmm. what are you going to take? Right. Um, 
Oh, that's a good bet. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. be, be happy to finance that. We don't do anything like that. It's, it's an underwriting system designed to produce bad loans. It produces bad loans, but that's money just being poured into that university system and they don't have to work hard to get it. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think alternative education, such as vocational school, uh, should be part of this conversation? There's no question the idea that there's a one-size-fits-all liberal arts track for every child born in the United States. We know that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, people are always really surprised to find out that a majority of Americans don't go to college. So those vocational skills are actually the most important thing to the majority of Americans. Mm-hmm. We should be paying attention to that. Yeah. My uh, my sister is actually about to uh, enroll in the Culinary Institute of America because she wants to be a baker and going to a liberal arts college just doesn't make sense for her. So I think – I hope that is part of the continued solution. Has she ever thought about doing candies? Candies are way more promising. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can convince her to uh, start her own brand of Twizzlers that for you. That would be fantastic. <laughs> What other uh, solutions do you see to this problem? I think that uh, in the end, this will get driven by um, the need to control the federal dollars. And and once you, you cut off that sort of infinite ability to tap the federal treasury, then you're tapping America's families and, and they're going to be a lot more cost conscious and, and that'll put a lot of pressure on the schools. Okay, so wrapping up here today, um, let's switch gears. Uh, last last episode, we had uh, AAF's Gordon Gray on to talk about um, the th- three key things Congress must absolutely do before the end of this year, um, which was, uh, you know, raising the debt limit, um, funding the government, which <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out yet again, and reauthorizing several uh, key, um, expiring programs. Assuming for a moment, and I know this is a big assumption, that you're a uh, glass half full kind of guy, uh, what additional legislation do you think Congress must uh, come together and pass in a bipartisan way this year? Um, Something on health care, immigration, maybe tech privacy. Uh, I I would have put um, prescription drug uh, legislation at at the top of the likely list. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost everyone feels like something has to happen. And there are some genuinely beneficial things that require legislation and would be helpful. So that. That, that's that's one that's still there are still bills working through energy, commerce, ways mm-hmm. and means, help committee in the Senate, finance. So I remain hopeful on that front. Um, privacy legislation, if only to run off the prospect of having 50 different privacy regimes imposed by state legislatures. So I thought that was, was actually pretty likely to happen, too. But that seems to have less momentum. We, mm-hmm. we shall see. We shall see. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. I'd also like to encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes um, from this episode and also follow us on social media to hear more about AAF.